Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor, I disagree with Jesus. It's always an interesting way for a conversation to start with me. So some years back, a woman from my former parish, uh, just a, a, a sprightly old lady, she came up to me, and this was the last thing that I would have expected this woman to say to me. But she came, and she started the conversation this way. Pastor, I disagree with Jesus. Okay, what do you disagree with Jesus about? She says, I don't agree with Jesus when he says to love your enemies. Uh, okay, well, that's fair. This is a hard teaching, but... The reason that she gave kind of surprised me. She said, I disagree with him because I don't think that we as Christians should have enemies. That's interesting. Now, my first thought when she said that, knowing this particular woman is, that sounds like kind of a cop-out because I know a few people in church that you might regard as your enemies, but be that as it may. <laughs> and furthermore, it's never a real good look if you sound more spiritual than Jesus is. Like, Jesus, that's pretty good, but really, should we even have enemies? But what I did say to her, and what I still stand by, was this. It doesn't really matter whether or not you have enemies, because enemies are going to have you. And this really gets at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here. He presupposes, he already assumes there's going to be people who oppose you for the sake of your faith. Because you belong to me, Jesus says. There are going to be those who will abuse you, who will speak ill of you, who are going to come after you. It's not a question of whether you want to have any enemies. Enemies are going to find you. And so, Jesus says, when they do, love them. Now, it's a difficult enough word on its own. But nowadays, I've become kind of troubled to see that more and more there are people who are speaking out and saying, this word isn't just difficult, it's downright dangerous. We shouldn't be listening to Jesus when he says to, to love your enemies. I mean, Friedrich Nietzsche, who was no friend of the faith, but he famously said that this teaching of Jesus to love your enemies, that he, he said that this is perfectly indicative of what he called the slave morality of Christians. He said, this is why Christians are constantly being bulldozed in the world. Because they will not recognize that life is a matter of power. And if you're going to love your enemies, you are just going to keep getting run over. There are many others in our world who would say something similar. That this just isn't practical and in fact, it might be dangerous. What troubles me even more though is to hear Christians talking in this way somewhat. And saying, well, yeah, Jesus says love your enemies, but look, we need to be realistic. we got to punch back when the world punches at us. We can't just roll over and take it. What are we to do with this teaching of our Lord to love your enemies? Is Jesus just being impossibly idealistic, or is there any realism to it here? So I want to make a case this morning for something that you wouldn't think maybe even needs to have a case made for, but I want to make a case for why we as Christians love our enemies, take seriously the word of Jesus, and don't just brush it away. Why do we do that? Well, some of you are thinking right now, look, pastor, it's in the Bible. It's even printed in red in my Bible, which means it's really important. So, of course, I'm going to take it seriously. Case closed. Jesus says, love your, enemy, love your enemies, boom. 
I'm going to do it. But I think we can all agree that there are things that Jesus says that we take more seriously and less seriously. Am I right? God invented highlighters for a reason, you know? I'm going to highlight this word. But then in the same section or in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, and anyone who has even looked with lust in his heart, he ought to pluck out his eyes or cut off his hand. I'm looking for all the one-eyed and one-handed people in the congregation. Hmm. There are words of Jesus that we take more and less seriously, are there not? And in practice, we can read things, hear things like love your enemies and say, oh, there, there, Jesus, that's really nice. Maybe in heaven we'll do that, but for now, we're going to love those who love us. And for those who hate us, you know, we're going to do what we need to do in order to stay alive. So I think we still need to push even further rather than just saying, well, it's in the Bible and so we believe it. Yeah, we do, but still. Jesus goes further. He says, okay, love your enemies. And why is that? Because this loving of your enemies is, in a real sense, the proving ground of our discipleship. That this is the epitome of what it means for us to follow our Lord. That this sort of love is what sets his followers apart. Some of you might be familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. You've heard of this? The Four Loves. In that book, Lewis outlines the four different kinds of love that there were in the Greek language. And these are reflected in the scriptures, of course, and all sorts of other writings as well. So just briefly, first of all, Lewis says there's what the Greek word storge. And what is storge? Storge is the love that is of familiarity. Okay? You love your family because they're your family and you've got no other choice. You love people whom you see regularly because, hey, those are my people. Storge is that basic kind of familiarity love. Secondly, there's eros, from which we get words like erotic, right? This is the love of the passions, the emotions. It's that physical drive of love, which obviously is what our culture celebrates perhaps more than any other kind of love. Then thirdly, you have philia, from which we get like Philadelphia, a city of, of brotherly love. Philia is that friendship love, it's that love for others because this is my buddy, this is my pal. Jesus speaks and alludes to all these different forms of love when he talks about, well, if you love those who love you, you practice philia, what credit is that to you? If you love those who hang around with you all the time, well, even sinners do that. But the scriptures call us to this fourth kind of love, which is agape, agape love. And love for enemies is quintessential agape. Agape love is that selfless, sacrificial love. It's not just about fondness. It's not about you feeling good for another person, even that you like another person, although it helps sometimes. But it's that fundamentally, it's that love expressed in action. As Jesus goes on to say, love your, enemy, love your enemies. He doesn't stop there. He then says, do good to those who abuse you. Bless those who curse you. This love for enemies, this agape, expresses itself in concrete, lived reality. He's not being idealistic here, folks. In fact, he's being in a gritty, practical sort of way. When your enemies come at you with hurtful words, respond with, with words of blessing. When they do wrong to you, strive to do right to them. This is the essence of agape. And love for enemies, that's the truest test of that agape. And look, when we do this, as we said a few weeks ago, when we do this, 
we draw near to the heart of our Father. Jesus says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. When we love our enemies, we're drawing near to the heart of our Father, becoming more like him who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Which, by the way, in case you needed me to tell you, includes us. Be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And so become more and more like your Father, who does not give to you and me as we deserve. And so we ought not give to others as they deserve. Love your enemies. But the objection is raised. You're probably already thinking about it. We've alluded to it somewhat. Love your enemies. Listen, that just seems wrong. Unjust, even. Like, no, people who do wrong need to get wrong done to them. I mean, this is just the the simple, natural reality of the universe. This is how things have to work. If we don't do that, yeah, we are just going to get rolled over. If we don't do that, Nietzsche was right. We need to fight fire with fire. We got to protect ourselves. We got to defend ourselves. Turn the other cheek. Jesus, I'm not going to have any cheeks left. How can we possibly do this? And we can go even further because there's a biblical argument to be made here too. Do the scriptures not say that you shall not love the world? The Bible says that, 1 John chapter 2. James goes even further in James chapter 4. James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And in Psalm 139, great psalm, beautiful psalm. Psalm 139 gives us these words to speak and to pray back to God. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I hate them with complete hatred. So where does love for enemies fit into that sort of mentality? How are we to keep these two in tension, if even they are to be kept in tension? Well, I think first we need to say, that when we, we raise this objection, we have this fear, this concern, this thought that we just need to punch back when we get punched, that we need to fight fire with fire lest we get burned down, we need to address this misconception that can be there sometimes, which is to think that to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, is to acquiesce to what they are doing. In other words, to just be quiet about it. It is just to roll over, as Nietzsche said. Or worse than that, to love your enemies is to affirm their evil and to say that what they are doing or what they are saying, that that's right. After all, if we didn't think that it was right, we would fight back. But is that really what Jesus is teaching us? By no means. Think of it this way. Mercy couldn't be mercy. And when we talk about love for enemies, this is really what we mean, right? It's mercy. Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. If there were no recognition of wrong, Properly speaking, there could be no mercy. If you didn't see that a slight had been done, if you didn't acknowledge that, yeah, this isn't right, this isn't in accord with God's ways, this is hurtful to me. If we didn't recognize that, there couldn't be mercy. To be merciful, to love your enemies, doesn't mean that you're just brushing everything under the rug, that you're whitewashing evils or saying that this is okay. Rather, it's looking it full in the face and still forgiving. It's recognizing evil for evil and calling it as such and saying that still, in the face of it, 
I will show love. I will extend forgiveness. I will practice mercy. And in that respect, as followers of Jesus, you control what you control. You can't control the response of the the enemy who would be coming at you. Maybe you will win them. Maybe you won't. That's not for you to fix. What you and I are called to is to show that sort of love and patience and mercy. But we can also say this to this objection that, oh, you're just being, you're just being passive. You're just being the doormat, et cetera, et cetera. No. And this is kind of the secret sauce of the golden rule, if I can put it that way, which Jesus utters here. He says, do unto others as you wish to be done by. You notice that that's a proactive posture, not a reactive one. It's not a passive position to be in, but instead you say, how do I want others to treat me? How would I have them to, to care for me? That's what I'm going to do to them. I'm not just going to sit back on my haunches and wait for people to come at me and then just, oh, woe is me. Instead, I'm going to bless them already. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to seek to honor them, do good to them. Even if I have a sense in my heart that they are not going to respond and reciprocate. And in so doing, Jesus says, you're truly blessed. That's what that true agape means. It's not just the quid pro quo. It's not, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. That's not true love. True love is unconditional. True love is given to you and me freely. True love is embodied in the love of our Lord Jesus. And this is ultimately where all this love for enemies stems from, where it's rooted in and where we, you and I find the strength as much as we are able to do it in this mortal life, also to extend it to others. You say, ah, oh, to love your enemies, that just seems wrong. It seems unjust. But in our Lord Jesus... It is the wrong that makes right. Our Lord Jesus, the innocent one, the one who of all of us was able to lay claim and say that no wrong ought to be done to him. He was the one who suffered the deepest indignity of all. He was the one who absorbed in himself all the world's evil and responded with what? By punching back? By fighting for his rights? By showing what was what? saying that he was the one who who everybody else ought to bow down to. Instead, he absorbed it, received it in himself. Not to say that it was okay, but to triumph over it through his selfless sacrifice by extending that agape, showing that at the end of the day, it is the mercy of our Lord that has the victory over all evil. That is the judgment of God, that his selfless, sacrificial love prevails. It's the wrong that makes you and me right and righteous. And at the end of the day, what other alternative is there? We live in this cultural moment as people are letting go of something as fundamental as these teachings to to love your enemies, which, to be clear, we should never expect those outside the faith to believe, to honor, to uphold that teaching. This is a teaching given to disciples of Jesus. And you and I, as his followers, we're able to make sense of it. The world could never make sense of that. But what we're seeing more and more is a culture, as it loses its residual resonances of Christianity, opting instead for something what what people sometimes call cancel culture, right? And what's cancel culture? This is where you get sent 
to what others have called secular hell. Hmm? Well, we don't believe in real hell anymore. But what's secular hell? We cancel you. We deplatform you. We say you don't have a voice anymore. You're a non-person. Within this kind of cultural context where there is no love for enemies, no mercy, instead, we can't extend forgiveness. If you do wrong, if you said something wrong 20 years ago, God help you if you did it online or on social media, there can be no forgiveness, no reconciliation, no redemption. That's where we inevitably go to if we do not have mercy, if we don't have love for enemies. And friends, is it going to happen as Christians? Is it happening to Christians? Yeah. So what should we do? How shall we respond? In kind, punching back, or in kindness? Recognizing that the response of our Lord is the only response there is. Lest the cycle of enmity grind on over and over and over again, never to cease. Instead, our Lord Jesus climbed into those gears for you and me and was ground down to kill the hostility once and for all. I grant you, loving your enemies, it doesn't make sense. You might even disagree with Jesus. What if, Lord, what if, what if I'm hurt? You know, what if my family is hurt? What if I'm abused? What if people say awful things about me? What if I, what if I lose my job? What if I'm killed? Then Jesus says to you and me, better off to belong to one who raised from the dead. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.